0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&A's. Looks like all of the questions are just on Patreon again this week, but I wanted to remind everybody that anybody who supports can participate in these weekly Q&As. Just ask whatever question you have. Anything you ought to know in the latest Q&A post, wherever it is that you support. And if for whatever reason I don't respond, it's either, it's most likely that you asked a question after I was done recording, but before the weekly Q&A was uploaded, or if it's something I can't talk about. Either way, um, if you're curious, you could always... DM me. And I also just want to say that I try so hard to answer anybody's questions everywhere else. There's always one or two people out there whenever I talk about this that's like, oh, so you charge people to answer questions? If that's how you want to look at it, that's up to you. But before you say something like that, I would recommend scrolling through every single YouTube video and social media post to see how I respond as time allows, basically daily for for free advice as well. This is really just to thank all of the amazing people who support, because without them, without you, I couldn't do this, and a lot of the stuff that happens behind the scenes would never happen. So while this will always be free for everybody to listen to, this is a direct thank you for people that support. So any questions you got, fire away, but let's jump in this week and see what we got. First up, Steve Wells wanted to follow up on the conversation from last week about how when they put a composite signal into the S-Video port via just an adapter, they got a better signal than plugging it directly into composite. And Steve wanted to confirm that that happened with multiple sources. So I think my gut feeling guess from last week about this being a problem with the aging components is probably spot on. My guess, total guess, total guess. <laughs> no fact here. Uh, but my guess is that if that was a brand new monitor, you would uh, have the exact expected results. But for whatever reason, the circuitry around the S-Video side probably aged better. Could be capacitors, could be chips wearing out, could be a whole bunch of different things. Or maybe they screwed up the design and put something near the composite video input that creates more interference. Wh- who knows? Uh, it, there could be a million things in there, but my gut is still talking, or is still thinking age is the culprit here but if you ever find the solution please let us know because that's kind of a fun nerdy one that i I guess a bunch of people listening are probably going yeah i want to know the answer to that too but i don't think it's something that we would ever really run into i think this is definitely just a sign of aging components and if you find a solution it might be a great way to say oh hey if this happens to you here's the fix for it so please keep us posted Last week, Fred Rummig was talking about capture of Windows XP and 98 machines, and they wanted to confirm that this is going to be digital capture. They have video cards on both of these computers that output DVI. And this is going to be for a hobby YouTube channel where they want to talk about old PC games. So I think the best option for you is probably a used datapath card like the E1 or E1S. There's some other models that would be fine as well, but that should be compatible with both a true digital DVI output, but as well as a bunch of crazy resolutions. And while those cards sometimes have weird issues with HDMI devices, plugging it in directly via DVI or through a splitter, DVI splitter or something, whatever that might be, I think that's fine. I think um, as long as your video card has DVI and VGA output, it would be my suggestion to not use any splitter at all in case the splitter itself has problems with weird PC resolutions and just have the DVI output going to your data path card and the VGA output going to a display. Even if you get some crappy old display with tons of lag, it might be good enough just to get this done for your recordings so that way you don't have to uh, put that digital signal through anything. But I think that would probably be the easiest easiest thing to do. I'll leave a link to the data path section. But with digital capture, you don't need to do any of that dialing in stuff that I talked about. All you would need to do is just make sure that your software that you're using has the exact same refresh rate and resolution inputted so that you could then present it however you wanted. But yeah, I'll leave a link to that, the data path section. It's got a link to the card if you want to buy it off of eBay, should there be any for sale at the moment. And just ignore the analog side of things. Next up, uh, will their planned purchase of the RetroTink 4K do anything to help them get captures? They really want to avoid building yet another PC with a capture card if only for space reasons. Their retro horde has taken up two bedrooms plus the garage, and they can see their wife leaving them if they take a move on the third bedroom. So... What you're talking about is a capture card that is external to your PC, and you could do that. But I'll tell you right now, before I even get into this, finding yourself a small, like a small form factor PC with a PCIe by one slot, uh, I think I think it's by one. It could be bigger. Just get a PCIe by sixteen, just to be sure. Uh, and using one of those older data path cards is going to be infinitely cheaper than trying to get in a Tomos box that you could record directly into, and it's going to be way more compatible than getting one of those AverMedia or Elgato boxes that sit outside the computer. Um, The RetroTINK 4K doesn't have any capture built in, so that's not something that you could just use that as a capture box. That would be cool, but that would also add a ton of cost to the price, and it's not something a lot of people would use. And then it would also have to support 4K capture, which, I mean, it would triple the price of the the Tink 4K. So it's not something Mike's going to be doing anytime soon. But uh, I think a small form factor PC is probably the way to go. If you're using Linux, you could use the Datapath cards in a Thunderbolt enclosure on a laptop that supports Thunderbolt, but then that only works on Linux It doesn't work on Windows at all because of the way uh, that particular card works. It's not uh, a Windows thing. It's the card. uh, It's the combination of things on that one. So... The only other thing I would look into is if you really want to do external capture without a PC is you could go to EposFox's channel and search for any of the capture cards that are standalone that might be affordable, but I have no idea if they're going to work with odd PC game resolutions. Obviously, loading up in 640 by 480 or 800 by 600 should work fine, but what happens when you load up a game with a weird resolution and a weird refresh rate then it's it's kind of all up in the air where the Datapath really has a lot better luck for that one. So, uh you know, let me know if you have any other questions, but I would definitely check out the Datapath Vision cards as well as Epos fox's channel. And hey, maybe if you buy from a, retail, a retailer that allows for returns, you could try one of those other capture cards first and see if it'll work with the weird retro DVI signal via a DVI to HDMI cable. couple of questions from Adam Adam and second one seems a little easier. So I'm just going to jump into that one first. Uh, They have a console that doesn't just have scratches. It has gashes in it. The plastic is is all mauled. Is there a good filler out there in which they could match paint or should they try something like a magic eraser? So I would almost never use a magic eraser because that's essentially like a very high grit sandpaper. There are certainly some scenarios in which it is the perfect answer, but mostly not. Um, And in fact, if you have a case that has gashes in it like this, Now is the time, at least in my opinion, to look into those clear replacement shells. And now you have yourself a very cool upgrade. And then find people like Russ Lyman, who I recently did that live stream with, and say, hey, do you want a cheap shell that's all gashed up that you could make into something nice? You could use that for your paint jobs and and sell that for a decent profit. I, I feel like that is definitely the the way that I would approach it if i had any artist skills whatsoever i might then try to do exactly what rust does and fill in those gashes kind of sand it down and then repaint it and see what happens maybe i end up with a paint job that looks just like the original maybe i do what rust does and have some very cool paint jobs with it or maybe i i mess it up and i end up with a clear shell anyway but at least at least I don't feel bad about messing with a brand new Mint shell. This is the type of thing that you might want to hack up to try different things with. So um, if you intend to sell this, I would look into seeing if it's a console that has a replacement shell, and that would be the perfect time to just sell that as an upgraded console, and then just look up Russ and see if he'll buy your old older shell for super cheap, just so it doesn't go to waste. The other question Adam had is they didn't realize saturn's 10 pin mini din av output were basically unobtainium and yeah it's always been like that but it's gotten better Ivory from Retro Castle uses them in his amazing Mr. Cases that have the Sega Saturn DIN outputs. Uh, Zaxor uses them for his mods. So I think there's definitely a lot of people out there who are able to find them now. Hopefully Luke from Console Mods would consider stocking them. If he doesn't already, you might want to just check out Console Mods and see. And if not, maybe Ivory or Zaxor could help get stock over so that people could have this. The only thing I will add is I'm going to use your question to repeat something that I have been preaching loudly for years, and it turns out I was right. Whenever you modify a console, don't ever change the output that comes from their mini DIN output connectors. The only exception is if your mod has to remove composite video. We'll get back to that in a second, by the way. But the reason is over 10 years ago, a lot of people were doing mods where they changed things inside the console, and then made a custom pass-through cable. And they said, look, I fixed the console. Now you don't need a fancy cable. And I kept saying, here's what's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to plug that cable into the wrong console, or you're going to plug a properly built cable into this console, and it's either going to do damage, or you're going to think the console's broken and throw it out. And a lot of very smart people push back on me for this one, but it turns out I was a hundred percent correct. It's impossible to remember everything about your setup, and then once you've sold it or once you've lost a cable, who knows what's going to happen next? So it's always better to just make it so that when somebody grabs a console, all they have to do is get a well-built cable, not some junk from AliExpress for a dollar, but you know one of the good cable manufacturers. You know, and anything else that it's a reputable cable plug it in, and they don't have any worries. And now you don't have to worry about a customer blowing out their console, their scale, or whatever else. It really is the right move. Um, And it's it's one of those scenarios where it's just kind of funny to me because my whole life I've worked with people so much smarter than me. But I, I think my main skill is being the middleman and sitting around and and working with all these people, but kind of seeing the whole picture of things sometimes. So a lot of people, when I first started talking about this 10 years ago, who said I was wrong, actually swung back around and was like, you know what? I've seen a bunch of stuff happen that was exactly what you said was going to happen. So they've kind of come around to do that. Um, the The only caveat to that is mods that remove composite video. Many of those mods then put a sync signal back on that line. That's the proper voltage. So if you're using Rad2X or HD retrovision cables, that'll still work. But the only thing that I would add, and uh, this is just a suggestion, this isn't as big of a deal as what I just said, but I would strongly recommend at least considering taking like an index card and some painter's tape or any kind of tape that doesn't leave a sticky residue, put it on the bottom of the console and just say, this console has been upgraded with a superior RGB outputting signal that, that removes composite video functionality. The composite video cables will not work, just use any RGB cable. And that's it. So that way, if somebody years from now gets a console, plugs in a composite cable, doesn't get a signal, that amazing, well-built, well-upgraded console doesn't end up in the garbage. So some kind of warning would be fine. Um, I'm sure that's already happened. I'm sure we've already lost amazing consoles to people who just forgot it was modded or sold it to somebody who then resold it. So it, it's just you know, let's not let these things go to waste, especially if they're in great condition already. But hopefully I was able to point you in the right direction for stuff like that. And as always, just reach out and let me know, you know, uh, if you need any clarification or anything like that. But yeah, hopefully we could just get you some Saturn 10 pin mini dins. Last week, I said I would love to see somebody do a shootout of all of the different light gun options on the Mister to see what, at least at the time of shooting, is the best method and other things that we might want to look forward to. And Kayak responded with a link to a YouTuber that uh, has done a lot of reviews on the Sindon and gun for ir as well as even the GunCon 2. So I will leave a link to this channel if anybody's interested. Um, I I will try to also scroll through myself, but I'm like... I have no free minutes anymore. I still like, staring at my guitar hoping I get a chance to play it soon. So I'm not sure if I'll get a chance to do it, but I do appreciate the recommendation. I'll, I'll subscribe just to see if I could remember, and I'll leave a link to the channel for anybody else that wants to check it out as well. Next up, Everett wanted to know if I had any further contact with Zsworks or if I knew if they were currently working on any new projects. The short answer is no and no, but I'll elaborate a little bit more. So a couple of years ago, I discovered the Zsworks monitors, which were up to 480 hertz integer scaling zero latency PC monitors. You basically took some off the shelf monitors and you replaced the guts with his kit and they were designed specifically for dual DV or dual displayport PCs. And that's exactly what they were designed for. Nothing else, period. They didn't have an HDMI input, only DisplayPort. And if you wanted to use the full bandwidth, you would have to use uh, video cards that you could plug two displayports into. And I kind of stepped in and said, that would be awesome for retro gaming. And Z said, it's not designed for that. It probably won't work. And guess what? barely worked, because it was not designed for that whatsoever. I had to use DisplayPort to HDMI converters. There was a lot of bumps in the road. Zeese did try to make it a little bit more compatible, but from day one, Zeese had said, this is a PC monitor. This is not an HDMI inputting retro gaming monitor. So, The project, I think, was a complete and total success from a PC monitor point of view. Uh, And as far as I know, Zeest didn't follow up with any other products, and uh, I don't know if there's any plans to. I should probably reach out um, and just to kind of check in and say hi and see. Uh, Hopefully he's still not, or I, I shouldn't say still. Hopefully he's not mad at me for trying to force it to work with retro gaming. And I really hope I didn't misinterpret at all, what that monitor was supposed to be. I think a lot of people may have thought I did, but I just—I guess I'm bad at that. Uh, if uh, so many people have complained over the years that they got the wrong impression from my videos, so obviously it's my fault. But got nothing but good things to say about the monitor. Arturo still has my old one, still likes it a lot, has good things to say about it. So uh, you know, nothing but good things to say about Zeiss. I just don't have any other contact with him, and don't think there's any other projects out there uh, that he's currently working on. Could be wrong though. Oliver Claire has, once again, another very unique and awesome scenario. They built this amazing gaming room, but they also wanted to get duplicate consoles so they could play link cable games. And originally they thought, well, maybe we could integrate these into the same setup. So you have two of each console plugged in, but then they realized console positioning became a little bit too daunting, and with everything else, it would just way overcomplicate things. So why not build a retro cart? Why not have a monitor and those duplicate consoles, each with their link cables there and ready, set up so that you could wheel it over and then you have your link cable set up right there. So you could just kind of position it next to where the consoles are and then each player could sit in front of either the main TV or the retro cart setup. I think that is freaking awesome. I absolutely love that. Uh, now the consoles are a mix of signals, so you have uh, Genesis, PS1, which are 15 kilohertz only, and then you have and Saturn as well, and then you have Dreamcast, PS2, PS3, and GameCube, which could do 15 and 31 kilohertz, and I know higher for for certain GameCube situations and PS3, obviously. But so that would be kind of interesting to figure out what to do for all of those. Obviously, you could find yourself a multi-format monitor to handle all of that. Um, Or you could find yourself a VGA PC monitor and then just use a line doubler like the GBS control. Remember I told you to hang on to that because you'd probably find a way to use it? You could use the GBS control to pass all those through uh, and to work those on a VGA monitor. You would lose light gun support for that. But in your setup, you already have a setup with light gun support. This is the secondary link cable setup. So I think that would be an awesome way to experience all of these. You could have all of them run right through it. You could run up to 720p on most of these VGA monitors, but at the very least, you could obviously run 480p. So I think that would be absolutely killer. Um, you you, You could do something like put two TVs on the same cart, a consumer grade TV with 15 kilohertz and a VGA monitor. But I don't know, it's really going to be up to you. I would make that decision based on how easy it is to get this stuff and what your overall needs are. Now, the audio is a potential concern, because obviously, if you have a retro cart with speakers blaring, you know, kind of a skew in a room that has a stereo blaring, that's going to be an issue. But a lot of consumer TVs have headphone jacks right in them. And if you're using a PC VGA monitor, very simply just find yourself some uh, magnetically shielded PC speakers that have headphone jacks built in. The Bose ones that I've been using are are very good. And yes, I know people hate Bose, but hey, for 10 bucks at a thrift store, I think they're amazing sounding when you put that into consideration. And they have the headphone jack that as soon as you plug your headphones in, it shuts off the speakers. So I think that's a very easy way to do that. And now you could kind of have a link play session where you're still in the same room with somebody. You could still talk to them, but your audio isn't fully bleeding into each other. So let me know what you think about that. But that's a really, really cool idea. And uh, you got to post pictures or a video or something if you end up finishing that. Oliver had another question regarding link cable support specific to the PlayStation consoles that they own and how that functionality was removed from one of them. So this one's kind of interesting. I want to go through it because while it's not a common scenario, it certainly might be something people might run into if they have a PS1 digital or Retro Gem installed. So Oliver has three PlayStation 1 consoles. One is bone stock unmodified. The other has Sio pre-installed. And then the other has a PS1 digital and an X-Station. So the thought was, use the PS1 digital modded one as the main PlayStation 1, and then you have the SIO on the retro cart to use for link cable support, which makes perfect sense, except the PS1 digital removed the port needed for link cable support in order to mount the HDMI jack, which for the record, I definitely think was the right decision. I think for 99% plus of their customers, that was definitely the proper trade-off, but you do lose functionality, so now it's something to deal with. And what to do really depends on a lot of factors here. So, you know, the easy short-term solution is to just look at cost. So what does it take to buy at least a handful of the link cable games on whatever region original disc that your unmodified PlayStation one has? And then whenever it comes time to do the link cable stuff, you could just use your SiO PS one and then the unmodified one with original discs that should work fine. And that should be an easy solution. But what if those games are impossible to buy? Or what if you would have to then buy another PlayStation one? Because what if they're Japanese only games and you can't run those on your PAL unmodified PlayStation without some kind of mod to it. I don't know if the unmodded one's PAL, I'm just kind of guessing here, but I'm also kind of offering different scenarios that you might have to run into. So in that scenario, you would have to either get another ODE or think about other link cable support issues. So one of the things that Oliver mentioned is when the PlayStation 1 Digital was first launched, the team talked about having wireless link cable support via just a a Wi-Fi chip built into it. If that was the case, if that was released, I would actually say, why don't you throw a PS One digital into your SIO PS One, and you know it's probably going to be the same price as uh, doing some kind of optical drive emulator in it. But now you have two HDMI modded consoles, and so now you consider one a backup except I don't think they ever released that feature and the team's got a lot of products coming out now so I can't see them going back to this anytime soon. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe they've this is something that they've already planned on integrating into the Retro Gem and maybe they're going to backport it for free for their original PS1 digital customers. I have no clue. You would have to ask them about that. But My gut's just telling me it's a team of people working on getting a bunch of products out the door that they need to hit their release dates because they've had two release dates now. So I don't see them going back and adding this anytime soon. So if you can't get the original disks and maybe ask, I mean, it's worth asking them. You know, it would be, I would love to be wrong, by the way. I'd love to have them post that, for you know, a free firmware update where everybody gets this, you know. Uh, However, ask them to make sure. And if that's the case, then you're going to need to decide, all right. Well, if you can't use original discs for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's time to get an optical drive emulator. And this is this is where my answer is slightly different for Oliver than everybody else. If it were anybody else or most other people asking the question, I would say just grab whatever's in stock now that fits your budgets and your needs. So there's the Mode, the X Station, Fixels. One is about to ship or starting to ship or something. Those are all great. I, I do think that SIO is a good product, and if it works with those games, you probably should be able to pick one up fairly cheap, and the installation isn't too bad. So you could look into those, and that's a perfectly good answer for you too, Oliver, but you also have a very complete setup, and there were other optical drive emulators teased. So while I would not ever suggest people waiting on something that was teased and not released, and that's not throwing shade, by the way. I'm just being honest. It is infinitely easier to have a working prototype than it is to make a product that's manufacturable, sellable, and distributable. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. So uh, I'm just saying for you, Oliver, who already has an amazing setup and could afford to wait Maybe you just kind of wait to, or pick up one original game to, just to try the uh, link cable support out, but then kind of wait to see what the next six months to a year has for you. Maybe you're going to have a, a cheaper, easier to install optical drive emulator. Or maybe it's easier to install, but it's a million dollars and you would have picked one of the other ones anyway. Or maybe you just stumble across one pre-modded that you can get for a discount that might be cheaper overall for you to deal with. I don't really know, but... For anybody who doesn't have a ton of really awesome consoles and an amazing setup, buy whatever's available right now. Oliver, if if you're in a rush for this, by all means, go for it and reach out to maybe I could even help trying to get one um, if I know anybody selling used ones for you. But if you if you're not in a rush for this, maybe just kind of wait and see. Maybe that uh, that console that you have that's completely stocked could be a good beta test for something else. Who knows? Next up, Retro YPBPR has been messing around with Mr. Switching back and forth between their Mr. Multi system and original consoles, and somehow the original hardware always feels better. Could this be a placebo, or is there something in their setup causing the Mr. to lag? Uh, so they went on to say that everything's connected the same way, same type of analog cable through the same switch into the same CRT, and they're also using a controller adapter. So. What I would strongly recommend is getting a different controller adapter. I have found many of those over the years that were terrible, and I found many that were amazing. And unless it's on the MrAddons.com latency sheet, um, unless people have really tested it with the proper procedures, there's no way to know if it's actually low latency or not. And, you know, don't take people's word for it unless they've actually run the test. Somebody that says it feels like it's low latency, even somebody super sensitive to lag like me, that means nothing right? You need actual measurements to prove that it's low latency. So what I strongly recommend doing is taking your favorite console and getting one of the Mick DamonByte Damon Byte adapters that matches that console. So let's just say it's a Super Nintendo. So grab that SNES adapter, which is one millisecond or less of latency, and then play your original console and then take that same controller, plug that into the adapter on your mister and go from there. Uh, before you do that, double check that fast USB polling is on. It should be by default, I think, but it takes a second to just check your scripts directory. It should already be in there if you use update all. So just double check that and double check your Mr. Ini I file. It's so unlikely that something would have changed for your analog video output, but you never know. If you're like me and you tinker around with things, maybe you were meant to change one thing, you changed the wrong thing, and now you added a little bit of buffering to the analog output. It happens. I make that mistake all the time with Mr. I changed the wrong setting when I'm in some kind of deep dive testing. So that's what I would suggest. Uh, It could absolutely be placebo, but my gut's telling me this is controller latency, because this is what I ran into before retro RGB was a thing. When I got Wii with a virtual console, I liked it, but... I wanted more of an original feel. So when I got that, I think it was a Mayflash controller adapter. And this is like 15 years ago or something, not almost that long. So, you know, I'm sure Mayflash has better stuff now, but it was really laggy. And I couldn't tell at the time. I didn't realize that's what it was, but I just knew something was wrong. And then eventually I found out that it was just a laggy controller adapter. So that absolutely would, would ruin the overall experience especially in the scenario of switching back and forth like that. It's not like you're home playing an original console, and then you drive an hour to your buddy's house to play a mister over there through a laggy controller adapter. You're going right back and forth. So the difference is going to be very noticeable. The other part of their question was they have the, uh, hDMI based snack adapter and the mr multisystem team said it's not compatible with the multisystem so they just want to know if I've run into many things that would work on the standard mister but not on the multisystem no not at all and I personally would blame those HDMI adapters not the multisystem um I, I I just I've already talked a lot about how much I don't like them and I don't want to start trouble I'm just being honest there's so many reasons why those things are just not good for the community as a whole, but snack in general should only be used for light guns because those Damon by MacGyver adapters are one millisecond or less of latency that to every gamer is zero period, not one frame one millisecond from a gamer point of view. That is zero. You will never notice one millisecond of latency. It only matters with things that are syncing on screen to the electron beam running it at, at that fast. So, and also, you can't use the menus when you're using a snack adapter. You have to use something else. So I would only use snack for light guns. Um, and if you do use snack, look into those adapters that have everything built in. Don't look into the ones where you have to buy multiple components. And it, it just, it's not, overall, it's not good for anyone. So look for the ones that are built the right way and only use them for light guns. But for your setup, I would definitely just get a Bite adapter because that should be more than enough. And it should be an identical experience pretty much. So Jason just said they have a few questions that they believe to be basic questions. So they'll dump them here for me to maybe lightning round or something. And none of them are easy questions. (laughs) I started to answer it. I'm going, no, these are pretty hard. So let me go through. And I will skim through them. But um, you're going to have to ask, or anybody listening, if you want more details, let me know. Because none of these are are simple answers. First, um, if you have an HD CRT that has lag but it's one of the models that you could have a setting turned on that if you feed it its native signal of 1080i or 540p it could then be a zero lag hd crt that's a whole other conversation but if you know what i'm talking about and you want to connect a windows pc is that hard or is it going to be just as crazy as getting 240p And while I've never tried, my guess is that while you might need some free software to do it, running it at 540p should be very easy. Because even Windows 11 could be forced to run into 480p, so just having another resolution that's basically the same but a little higher should be pretty easy. If anybody wants to know what the heck we're talking about, please let me know, and I could go into that next week. But that's a whole video in itself, to be honest with you. Next, do I have any opinions on ultra-wide monitors, curved or flat? So, opinions on ultra wide monitors. Do you have a setup where you have two widescreen monitors next to each other? If you like it, then the ultra wide is going to be awesome. And if you don't like it, then you know, then it's not so that hundred percent preference based, um, and about curved versus not curved. That's also preference, but I will say that my LG OLED is curved. I didn't buy it because it was curved. I bought it because it was a floor model that was almost half price But I love it. I love that it's curved. I do find it to have better viewing angles. And I just don't... I haven't felt like it affected gaming at all, but I also sit a normal distance away. So I would also assume that that's preference. Maybe an ultra-wide curved monitor is going to look amazing, or maybe the curvature, since you're sitting much closer, is going to mess with your head and you're not going to like the way it looks for games. That's going to be completely up to you. Um, Next, do I have much experience with liquid heat shrink... Tape, I don't know what that is. Do you mean like the heat shrink tubes that you put over wires and you hit with a hot air gun and it shrinks down? Is there tape that does that? Uh, I honestly don't know what that is. I'm really sorry, or maybe I do, but it's just I, I've always called it something different, even if you have the correct name and I don't, it could just be that. Next, do I have a preference for InDesigned 3.5? Wait, do I have a preference in design or source? For a 3.5 millimeter audio Y splitter. They need a bunch for a project and they want them as cheap as possible. Um, You're going to hate this answer, but the honest truth is find a a seller like an Amazon seller where you could return them for free if they don't work. Buy however many you need plus two. And then because these are fairly cheap, you should be able to get them for like five or six bucks. And then run some basic tests on it. You know, do like a console with a Konami white logo. And if you hear it without it, it, uh, it's fine. But with this adapter, you get that really loud buzz on the white screen. Or, you know, there's a lot of different tests that you could run to see if the shielding is bad on them. If you get that, then return them all. If you don't get it, you. And it, this is a very audiophile focused project. You might even want to consider cutting one of them open. Do so in a way that you could splice it and use it for other projects. But double check that the shielding is proper and that it's not just partially shielded and might end up with interference in some situations. And then go from there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't. Um, I have a hard time recommending stuff like that because they're it's very easy for them to have one batch made that's perfect and the next batch isn't. So you really want to, if it's very important that audio file grade stuff is used, I would do use that method. And if not, if this is just like, Hey, I have a project. I want to make sure it doesn't suck. Just buy ones that say shielded and and, and hope for the best. Next. What do I think of using old PC power supplies to run large groups of devices like HDMI splitters, scalers, et cetera, run off standard five or 12 volt power. They found some cheap ATX 24-pin adapter boards for them online that even have USB ports for 5 volt devices. Um, you know that's up to you, but you're asking you're asking the wrong person for this one because my answer is always going to be power is hard, and if you think you understand power, you definitely don't because anybody who understands how this stuff works knows that they uh, nobody's got the whole picture and there's always factors involved that are way out of your control. So it could very well be that that's an excellent solution, or it could be that those adapter boards are made with low quality parts and you're sending voltage that's all over the place or not enough amperage. What I would do is use something like a USB hub. And if you have, here's a perfect excuse, right? If you have an older USB hub, and the amperage on each port is equal to or greater than what your HDMI devices use, but let's say you have a USB 3.0 hub and you've upgraded to 3.1, it's a perfect use for that hub. You don't even need to have, as long as it's powered, obviously, you don't even need to have the USB cable plugged in. You can just plug it into the wall, plug in your switch, your splitter, your audio. Extractor all into that. And now you could if it has a power button, you could even have one power switch to kill all those if you needed to. So that's what I would do. The PC power supply route might be fine. It might be completely fine, but overkill, which is not a bad thing, but I wouldn't do that. I'm always very careful with power just because once you've uh, once you've had enough catastrophic things go wrong in either your personal setup or your business setup, you start to have the trust issues that I have with, with janky power solutions. You're going to want to keep, you're going to want to make sure that you use something that's a little safer, but it seems like a bit of an overkill, But hey, if you're willing to give it a try, if there was ever anything to try it with, it's generic devices that if they blew out aren't going to break the bank. You know, I'm not saying it's okay to kill those devices. I'm just saying, if you're going to do an experiment, do it with stuff like that and not your rare ultra-modded console or something like that. Real quick, before I go, I just want to address the blunder from last week. I had finished recording and uploading the Q&As, and I had sent them out to supporters, but before they had gone public, a few people reached out to mention that one section could have been very badly misinterpreted, so I just deleted it and re-uploaded it without thinking of a couple of the consequences of that. And the most important Far, by far the most important was that I hope I didn't accidentally make anybody who asked the questions feel bad because they were not trolley questions. They were good questions, fair questions from good people. And I hope that just deleting it like that didn't insult anybody or make anybody feel like they did anything wrong. None of the supporters did anything wrong. I just screwed up the answer. So I, I wanted to make sure of that. And I also, uh, it, it did kind of mess up the flow because I had made a couple of, you know, just basic references to it, and since I deleted the section, it's like, what the heck's he talking about? And so I just wanted to, then I had to pin a comment to address that. So I just wanted to let everybody know, you know, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I didn't think that just deleting that section could have caused trouble, but I guess that did. So, you know, I I wish I could say that I'll keep trying to do better, but that's something that's affected me my whole life. You know, I'll think of something and I, I think it's the right thing to say and I'll say it and everybody in the room will stare at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? Somebody once explained it to me and I have No clue if this is true. This could be complete BS. But somebody once said that's another sign of ADHD because my brain is moving really fast. And by the time I speak, my brain's already moved on to the next thought. So it comes out jumbled and you end up saying stuff that you don't mean or that doesn't make sense at all. So I, I don't know if that's true. It could just be that I'm stupid and say stupid things sometimes. That's that's fine. I'm all right with that as well. I just, uh, I I just most importantly didn't want any of the supporters to think that they did anything wrong. So I think from now on, when something's that touchy, I I should just skip over the question. And if you feel like you needed an answer, please just DM me or something like that. Because you know, I I just I always try to do the right thing. Uh, And I, I very very often will record many answers to a question, or to even a section in the weekly podcast to make sure that it can't be misinterpreted. And then I very often make it worse by doing that. So just expect me to screw up all the time and know that my intent is always in the right place. And if I ever offend you, uh, maybe. That was my intent, or maybe I completely screwed up and it was the opposite. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll try my best, but I don't think this is something I'm going to get that much better on. It's plagued me my whole life. I'll keep trying, uh, but I will pay more attention to what could potentially send the wrong message to the people who support and keep this channel going, because though you are the people that I do not want to show any disrespect to. You're the reason I'm here. So to anybody who asked those questions last week and this week, I'm very sorry. Uh, and thank you to the people who brought brought it to my attention that it could be misinterpreted because while I meant everything in a nice way, it's I, I definitely know that I have a, a long history of accidentally saying the wrong thing. So much appreciated. Anyway, thanks to everybody for uh, putting up with me, and I will see you all next week.